0: I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. And specifically, I'm going to be uh, centering the preaching today on uh, verse 35, but I do want to set, uh, uh, set the scene for what was going on at this point in time. This is near, obviously, it's in Mark chapter 1. This is near the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. And he has been ministering uh, in Galilee. He is staying at the house of his uh, primary disciple or apostle, Peter. And we're going to see him healing his mother (laughs) and then working to heal others throughout the, the city. The point, though... Uh, is not the miracles of Christ that we're going to be looking at particularly. It's going to be uh, the pattern that Christ sets for us in his own devotions. As I said, I wanted to uh, take the next uh, three Sundays and and kind of help us to get ready for the new year. It's often the case that uh, people make resolutions at the beginning of the year. Let's see if you know, what's the most common resolution in America at the beginning of the year? Lose weight. There you go. Um, that people will start exercising and eating right is the one that they, uh, they most commonly make. How long does that go on for for the majority of people who make that resolution? Three weeks. <laughs> it's three weeks is the average lifespan of a resolution made at the beginning of the year. But I'm hoping that with the Lord's help, we can do better than that. And uh, while bodily uh, fitness and, uh, and so on, um, while it helps a little godliness Uh, helps a lot, Um, and it will help us in every dimension of our lives if we'll but pursue it. So I want to uh, set before us ways in which we can grow in godliness going into the next year, and hopefully set patterns that we will be able to keep, not just for three weeks, but for the entire year, and then for all the years following until Christ returns. I'm hoping that we'll be able to do that. Um, but before we read the word of God and see the pattern that Christ sets for us, let's go ahead and seek his face and ask for his help. Please join me. God, our gracious Father, we do th- thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a light. It's a lamp. It shows us the path that we should be walking in. And we thank you also for the teaching of your son. He made clear to us your will. He was your prophet par excellence. Par excellence. He was the one who came to tell us all your will and then show us how we should live in the world. For he came taking to himself our nature, a true body and a reasonable soul. And while he was on this earth, he lived out those disciplines of grace that you, O Lord, set before us. And I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to, to follow his example. We'll never be able to do it perfectly, this side of glory. But we thank you that he has shown us the right way to go. Help me now, Lord, to open up the word and to uh, explain it to your people. Let me say nothing that goes against your word. But instead, let me be like the Levites who opened up and explained the word of God more precisely as Ezra was reading it to the people on that day of of feasting when the wall was finished in Jerusalem. And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Mark chapter one, and starting with verse 29. Now, as soon as they came out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, but Simon's wife, uh, wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. When I ask people, Christians, members of this congregation, especially as we go around and we do family visitations or I meet individually, how are you doing spiritually? One of the answers that I get, uh, aside from the, uh, the kind of pushing the question aside, fine, fine, I'm doing fine, answer, uh, is I, I'm struggling or I could be doing better. And uh, that's often a very honest answer. Uh, for many of us, unfortunately, we're not even struggling. Uh, we, we feel defeated in the Christian faith. We know we are not advancing, uh, not just as we should be uh, to the best of our capacity, but we don't seem to be making any progress at all. In fact, some people fear that they are falling back that they are less diligent uh, in pursuing Christ, that they have less grace, that they have less uh, enthusiasm year by year. My desire is to help you in that. My desire is to uh, show you the ways that we can grow in grace. Now, I cannot cause you to grow in grace myself. Uh, I can pray for you, certainly. And I can show you the ways that the Lord has set for his people to grow in grace, for that is his desire, that we would be further conformed to the image of his son, that we would be more like Christ every single day, bit by bit, so that we would be fitted for heaven, that we would be more and more reflective of his nature in the world, his grace, the light of Christ shown to the world in the face of of his followers, his people, for if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is who you are, and you have dwelling within you the third person of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will work in you to conform you to the image of the one to whom he gives all the blessing and honor and grace and holiness and praise, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The way to grow in grace is by the means of grace that the Lord has appointed. And two of the most important of those means of grace are prayer and the reading of the word. We find that in uh, any place where worshiping is taking place. That's the divine dialogue between believers in Christ and their Lord. When we pray, we are speaking literally to God. We are speaking to him as though he were there with us because he is with us. And when we read the word, he is speaking to us. He's not just speaking to people thousands of years ago. He's not speaking to the church as a whole. He's speaking to you individually. And so therefore, there should be each day in your life that that to and fro of dialogue. There should be a speaking to the Lord. Those are two of the main components of worship. And worship is something that you were made for. I don't know if you realize that, but that is the purpose of your creation, (coughs) brothers and sisters, to glorify God and enjoy him forever here on earth and then hereafter in heaven and then in the new heavens and the new earth when they come into existence. We were created to be worshipers. And there are three different dimensions to our worship. The first is that private dimension, when we go into our closets, as the Lord put it, and pray, when we come into the presence of the Lord and we are with him by ourselves. Then, of course, there's the wider circle of our families. There should be worship going on there as well, family worship. And then finally, of course, there's what we're doing today, corporate worship, as we assemble as the church of Jesus Christ, his people, and we praise him. Of course, we're going to be entering into that that amazing, abundant, perfect corporate worship in heaven. We look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we practice for heaven here on earth, and we worship the Lord But I want to address, I will be addressing all three dimensions of that worship over the next three weeks, but today I want to be talking about the most intimate place of worship, which is our private worship. The uh, private worship that saints enter into prayer and Bible reading is of critical importance. Now you can sing in your devotions. There's nothing that stops you from doing that. But uh, the, the two most important ones are definitely opening up the word of God and speaking to the Lord in prayer. That's the essential nucleus of any daily devotion. Uh, And every day we should be going into the presence of the Lord by ourselves, regardless of whether it's a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever day, or regardless of our family worship. Family worship does not eliminate the need for uh, the individual devotions that believers enter into. As a matter of fact, particularly when it comes to fathers, if there is no individual devotion going on, then family devotions will be something he doesn't do particularly well in. We learn how to worship the Lord when we are doing it ourselves. And so it's very difficult to teach somebody to do something you don't know how to do yourself. We need to be people who know how to worship God individually, who speak to God in prayer and hear from His Word. Now, before I get started really uh, on how we should go about doing that, I need to prove in one sense that this is something that we're supposed to be doing, that it's something that the Bible teaches us because when it comes to my powers, they're ministerial and declarative. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm not a legislator. I can't come up with new things and say, well, that sounds like it would be helpful to people and then say, you've got to do it. There are a myriad of different things that I could suggest for you and your families or plans and ideas, days, feasts, celebrations, aesthetic practices, hair shirts, abstaining from foods, things like that. that I could suggest that you all take up, but I don't have the power to tell you to do that because I am only an ambassador and an ambassador does not come up with his own messages. He relays the message of the king. That's what pastors are supposed to be doing. So I need to tell you whether or not something is in the word. And if it's in the word, is it a command that's set before us? A lot of people will say that there is no command in scripture to have a daily devotion. And actually, there is one group of people who were uh, explicitly commanded to do a daily devotion. And that was the kings of Israel. In Deuteronomy 17 and 18, we read this. Uh, 17, 18, and 19 rather. Also it shall be when he sits, that is the king, on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of the law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. The king was explicitly commanded first on ascending to the throne that he would take the book of Deuteronomy and that he would write out for himself his own copy of that particular book with the supervision of the Levites and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. We see that kings were commanded every single day to be looking into the law of God, a law that they knew because they had copied it themselves, putting it down in writing, reading their own words, which were at that point the word of God as he had given it through his servant Moses and then living by them. But you might come back and say, well, that's the king. None of us are kings of Israel. Of course, he needed to read the word of God and pray, but there's no command for the rest of us. And I I would say, okay, it is true that there is no 11th commandment that says thou shalt do a daily devotion. You can search the scriptures. It's not there. But I would say this to you. Scripture throughout Old Testament and New Testament presumes that the godly person will be doing it that they will be every single day praying to the Lord and reading his word, that there will be that divine dialogue that I was talking about going on. For instance, I could give you countless examples. I could make the entire sermon simply reading examples of where you should be doing uh, these daily devotions. But in the book of Psalms, which talks about it again and again, there are several examples. First, in Psalm one, the very first Psalm, which kind of sets the theme For the entire book we read in Psalm 1, 1 and 2, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. There is not a day that goes past when he is not in some sense, thinking about the word of God. We'll talk about meditation in a moment, but this is the mark of the man who is blessed and who is shunning worldliness and the counsels of the worldly. What is it that makes him proof of those things, that that gives him uh, safety, that's his refuge, that's his wall, of de- uh, that is his wall of defense? And the answer is that he goes to the word of God on a regular basis. Psalm 145, 2 Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. It's not Lord once in a while when I think about you I'll send up some praise, but rather every day I will do that. Psalm 5 verse 3 My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and I will look up. I will begin my day speaking to you, O Lord, possibly even singing Psalm eighty-eight thirteen. But to you, I have cried out, O Lord. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Again and again, this idea that after we awake, we go to the Lord in prayer. One of my teachers in seminary said, my soul awakes thirsting for the Lord. As we wake in the morning thirsting for coffee or whatever our morning beverage is, perhaps the civilized (laughs) man's drink tea, uh, before that even happens, our soul should be alive and thirsty the word of God as we would thirst in the desert being parched we would desire to go and hear his word. Psalm 119 verses 146 through uh, 148 I cry out to you save me and I will keep your testimonies I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help I hope in your word my eyes are awake throughout the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Now, you'll notice that certain things come up again and again. We see prayer. We see the importance of the word. We also see that word meditation coming up. Now, this is not the the Eastern version of meditation. This is not sit cross-legged in the room with the incense burning before the statue of Buddha going oh, and uh, striving to clear your mind of everything as you seek to become one with the universe. That is not the meditation that is being spoken of here. Meditation was once a much better word, Christian meditation. What is meditation? Meditation is not a clearing of the mind, but a focusing of the mind, specifically on the word of God or some aspect of it. And it used to be a discipline that Christians would think on some aspect of the word of God, a scripture in the word of God. We need to remember that when the book of Psalms was written, most people did not have their own copy of the word of God. The scrolls were, were immense, very difficult to, uh, to take around, and, and they cost quite a bit in the first place. And they all had to be hand copied. The king had to copy his own copy, and other copies had to be uh, hand copied as well. The word was simply not abundant. What would happen? God's people would hear the word read in the temple or read by the Levites to them. They would have it explained and lined out for them. And then what would they do? They would take that that part of the, that portion of the word of God in their own minds, and they would think upon it throughout the day. And that should be something that you do, brothers and sisters, that when you read the word of God, you don't just go over it very quickly, and then in one ear, out the other, immediately dismiss. But rather, it should be something that we think on. You should think on, for instance, when you hear the word preached. It should be something that you meditate upon that you think deeply upon. We should be a thinking, digesting people. One of the the problems that, that we often have is we eat without digesting, and we get indigestion. We're not prepared for the meal. We wolf it down, and then in essence, we throw it up. I hate to put it that way. Later on, it's gone. What needs to be happening is we need to be taking a moment, coming into the presence of God, and thinking on these things with the sanctified common sense that he's given us and using the, the information that's available to us. Sometimes if we come to uh, a, a conundrum, uh, a place where we're not absolutely sure what the word means, going to resources that are trustworthy or going to people who are trustworthy and asking for help and understanding. And that practice of, of prayer, that practice of reading the word and that practice of meditation is something that we don't just see in the Old Testament But it's vitally important in the New Testament as well. Even in teaching his disciples to pray, you remember the disciples of Christ came to him and they said, "Lord, teach us to pray." As John taught his disciples to pray, you teach us to pray. Give us, give us a formula for prayer. And what was the formula that he gave them? What what do we call it? The Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's prayer can be prayed by himself, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so on. We can, we can actually pray that, but it's more forming an outline for our prayers, directing us in the way that we should pray. But note that when Jesus gave that to his disciples, he said in Matthew six eleven, you can look it up yourself, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. Now note that word, our daily bread, give us this day, our daily bread, not give us this week, our weekly bread, on the assumption that they would pray once a week. How often did Jesus expect them to pray? Daily, every day, give me this day, my daily bread, that there would be that ongoing communication between the disciples and God. But... The best example upon which to model our own prayer is, of course, the example of Christ. The example that we saw, for instance, set out for us in Mark chapter 1. When did he arise to to pray? Well, he rose up a great while before the day while it was yet night. And the interesting thing is, if we remember what was going on, on that particular day or the, the previous day, he had been in the synagogue... And teaching. Then he had gone, and he had he had spent time not just healing Peter's mother-in-law, but then he'd gone on, and they brought the sick from all over, and he had laid hands on them, and he had healed them. I, I, I mean, this was an exhausting day. And then he goes home to Peter's house, where he's staying. And long before the dawn breaks, he leaves them and he goes to a place of solitude. He went up to the mountains. That was where he would, uh, he would usually pray. And he prays to the Lord. He communes with his father. And so Peter, no doubt, arose later on that day and he would be expecting that Jesus would be, I mean, if it was me, you would, you would hear the snoring from outside the room. But Peter goes to the door, he hears nothing. Comes back a little while later, still nothing. And he knocks on the door. Perhaps pushes it open. Lord, are you there? Opens the door and there's the bed. He's not there. Where is he? Everybody's searching for him. Where has the Lord gone? And finally, they find him in the mountains praying to his father. At the time when you or I might have said, I need to take it easy. I I worked really hard. He said to himself, in essence... The work is so difficult. I must go and seek the face of my father in order to receive the grace, the support that I need in order to do all of these things. He cried out to the Lord for help. And it should be clear to us, brothers and sisters, if the Lord himself needed to go apart from the world and seek the face of his father and seek his help and pray to him, how much more do we, his followers, who are not the son of God incarnate, need to go and pray on a regular basis and seek the face of our father as well. Jesus frequently withdrew in order to pray again and again. We need to do the same. So how should we do that? When should we be doing it? And how should we be doing it? Um, Well, starting just with the time, as with Jesus's example, Morning is usually the best time. Um, I am put to shame by the example of many of the Puritans who. Uh, there's one Puritan whose name has escaped me. I don't believe it was Watson, but uh, he, he did not wish to be abed if he could hear workmen outside in the street, because his, uh, his thinking was, I should be serving my master more diligently than the men of this world serve theirs. And so he wanted to be up in the morning and preparing for that particular day. Uh, So morning is usually the best time to start this. And one of the things that you will notice is if you start your day with God, if you start your day with devotions, it will affect the entire day. I find that if I really want to ruin my day, the best way to do that is to start with the world, uh, to immediately go to the news. And then my countenance falls, I have to check a few times to see, is this satire? Did we really just do that? No, we really did. Okay. Um, we're stupid. Uh, and then I contemplate, what's my meditation for the rest of the day? We're stupid, we're stupid, we're stupid. What on earth is going on? Lord, come back. You know. And it's, it's a, it's a, it casts me down for the entire day. But if I begin the day with the Lord, it sets me on the right path. It affects the rest of the day for the better. Luther. When he was asked about what his plans for the day were, once answered this. He said, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. He had so much to do, he was going to spend the, next, uh, the first three hours of the day in prayer. That goes completely counter to our thinking. I have so much to do, I don't think I can spend any time in prayer. But can we afford not to spend time in prayer? And are we surprised when the day falls apart and all of our plans come to nothing and unravel before our eyes if we don't begin asking for the Lord's blessing? The Lord Jesus was given the power of the Holy Spirit abundantly beyond measure in order to do his work. And yet he still sought the face of his father and for his help. The thing that he does most assiduously before every one of the most difficult tasks and indeed the most difficult task that has ever happened which was going to the, to the cross to be that atonement for sin, to take our sins on his own shoulders and then to lay down his life. What does he do before he does that? He goes into the, the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes about a stone's throw away and then he prays. What does he tell his disciples to do? Pray. What do they do instead? Sleep. Jesus is ready When the gang comes to arrest him, right? When Judas comes, are the disciples ready? Not at all. Often, unfortunately, that's what happens in our lives. We choose sleep over prayer, and then when the world throws its slings and arrows of outrageous fortune at us, are we prepared? Not at all. We're completely knocked off kilter. So praying will prepare us for those things, those tasks, those difficulties, those hurdles. Those storms that are going to come our way in a fallen world. How do, we, how do we make sure we do that? Well, one of the ways to do it is to fix it to something that you ordinarily do. There are patterns even in the most disordered lives that go on. There, is, uh, there are fixed times when you are doing something every day at about the same time. Whether it be eating or brushing your teeth or taking a shower or whatever you do. There are going to be... Um, there are going to be habits that you've already established that set your schedule. What you need to do is find one of those things that you do and attach devotions to it, before it, preferably. So when you think, oh, yeah, I need to wash, uh, brush my teeth, before you brush your teeth, do your devotions. It doesn't matter if you have a yucky mouth, you're talking to God, and you always have bad breath to God, so it doesn't matter. But spend that time with him first, then brush your teeth. Find something in your life that gives it a regular pattern and then work with that. What should you do during this time? Well, there are three essentials. The first first is Bible reading. The second is prayer. And the third is meditation. Um, But you should think of this as time spent conversing with God. Going to your best friend, going to your greatest mentor, going to the one who has all the answers that you need and pouring out your heart to them. I I say this because many people confuse daily devotions with Bible studies. Daily devotions are not Bible studies. You do not need to sit there with a lexicon. You do not need to sit there with a, uh, uh, with, you know, a Bi- Easton's Bible Dictionary. Uh, you do not need to sit there with a concordance and be cross-referencing and looking up the original Greek and the semantic range and things like that. There are some people I've met who can't read the Bible without doing that. But, you know, ordinarily, you just need to read the Bible and ask the Lord to bless your understanding of it. It helps if you have a study Bible. You can read the notes if you uh, don't know what it's about or or have perhaps a commentary at hand. But you don't need to make this into a study. It's not a study. It's a time of worship. This is not a time of Bible study. This is a time of worship. So there are some helps that will be helpful to us, but if we make it too technical, it won't be helpful to us. I mean, think about this. If you said to your wife... um, Honey, let's go out. We haven't spent any time talking in, in a while. Uh, let's go out to, to dinner. And you, you take her out, and then um, you, you open up a, 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 a notepad, and you take out your pen. All Hun. Right, um, when you were uh, five, uh, what, did, what are the things that you remember from your earliest uh, childhood, and how did they affect you? How do you think, you you know, and you spend the entire day essentially quizzing her like occasionally people when they they're asking for their top secret clearance they'll come how long have you known this person do they meet regularly with foreign people well yeah they do meet with foreign people well, i'm foreign you're foreign Ugh. okay let's start again who are you, <laughs> you know, and then they go through and it's it's an interrogation you are meeting with god you are speaking with him familiarly <laughs> you're not interrogating him and if you don't come away with some brand new Understanding of the semantic range of a Greek word from your daily devotions, that's okay. It really is. Begin by reading God's Word. And I mean this before you pray, begin by reading God's Word to help you to get ready, and then think about it for a moment, at least a moment. And then go and speak to Him. Open up your heart. Pray for those things you desire. And when you pray, think about what you're praying. And don't be formulaic. Don't be ritualistic. You know, there are many of us, I, I know I probably have them, you could probably tell me what they are. The funny thing is, we don't, we don't recognize what our own Bible ticks are, I'm uh, sorry, our own prayer ticks are. The things we always say, for instance, when we're praying out loud, how we begin our prayers. For instance, in my family, I don't know if my wife fixed it, I suspect she did, or it was me, but it's, uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. It's always thank you for this day, thank you for this day. And it's not a bad thing to thank the Lord for. But it would be really weird if we began our, you know, our talking with our loved ones with the same phrase, wouldn't it? How are you this day? How are you this day? How are you this... What the... <laughs> uh, it's... It should be that we speak as naturally to God as we would literally to a loved one. So it doesn't have to be formulaic, but there should be a pattern to it. For instance, we need to remember who God is. And unless there's urgency, unless something terrifying is going on, uh, we should come into his presence with reverence and we should address him and we should adore him. So actually setting forth that, uh, that formula, ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, that's a good pattern. Because without those patterns also, unfortunately, I tend to find the S moves its way immediately to the front of the line and stays there the whole time. What do I mean? We barge into the presence of God and immediately begin listing our demands like terrorists. You'll provide for me a plane with three people to take us to, you know. That's not the way it should go with God. There should be adoration. I mean, if you walked into the presence of your spouse every morning and said, honey, you will provide me with coffee. After that, there will be eggs. And then I want you know. All right, you know, they might think of you more of as a tyrant, and we can be little tyrants in the presence of God. Here I am, God, do my will. That's what many of our prayers essentially say. And if you don't, you're not being fair or kind. You don't love me. We act so often in the presence of God like toddlers whose will has been thwarted. If you love me, you'll get me the pony. If you don't love me, you won't get me the pony. You did not get me the pony, you don't love me. Now I'm going to hold my breath until I die. <laughs> you know, when our kids do it, we look at them like, get over yourself. Or at least we should. These days, parents are like, oh, we're going to hold my breath until I die. Get them the pony quickly. <laughs> no, God doesn't do that. God knows what we have need of before we come into his presence. He knows what you need better than you do. So go into his presence, acknowledging who he is, confessing who you are, because you're a sinner coming into the presence of the Holy God. And the only way you can do that is because of what Christ has done for you in his redeeming work. And then give him thanks. And make that the humble expression of your will before God. Not a terroristic list of demands that you present to him on a regular basis. And when you're done, think on the things that you've read. Something that may help you to get started in meditation is the use of a devotion. There are several excellent devotions out there. My favorite, still to this day, is Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. I can read it again and again and again and still get things out of it. His ability to pick an idea out of verses is fantastic. It really is something to set your mind on, to meditate. But There's thousands of good helps out there. Table Talk, for instance, from Ligonier gives you these, you have scripture, then you have uh, an explanation of scripture and something to think upon. If you need to use a devotion, use a devotion, absolutely. But make sure that the Bible is always central. It should be the case that as you grow in grace, you can simply open up God's word and be so familiar with it, you can still be getting things out of it. You understand the context and so on. And remember, when you do these things, to do them in a place of solitude and quiet. It is almost impossible to, um, to be still and know that he's God if there's mayhem going on around you. It's one of the reasons why prayer, and there's many reasons for this, why prayer has gradually gone out of the megachurches. How do you pray when it's just constant noise all the time and lights and so on? The one thing that you can't do is become meditative in that environment. So, we need to make sure that's happening by ourselves. That's why he went by himself to the mountains. And he prayed. Now, I realize for parents that's very difficult. Susanna Wesley used to throw her apron over her head while her kids were "Ah!" all over the place. I'm sure Susanna Wesley's kids weren't exactly like that, but um, you know what I mean. Uh, And spend time alone in her apron with God. But there has to be a coming apart. Matthew Henry wrote this, he departed into a solitary place, either out of town or some remote garden or outbuilding, though he was in no danger of distraction or of temptation to vainglory, yet he retired to us as an example to his own rule. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, secret prayer must be made secretly. Those that have the most business in public and of the best kind must sometimes be alone with God, must retire into solitude, there to converse with God and keep up communion with him. So come apart from the world and then pray. Now, I want to give you just a few applications before we close. The first of this is that everybody needs to do it. There may be somebody out there, I'm hoping not, who's thinking, "Ah, I don't need personal devotions. You're greater than the greatest Christian. Jesus needed personal devotions, but you You don't. Okay. Maybe your self-esteem is a little raging out of control, if that's the case, honestly. But we all do need that. And we need it on a daily basis. Jerry Bridges, who interestingly enough used to be a member of our church in McLean. He was also um, one of the founders of the Navigators. uh, And a man who's written several wonderful uh, books. I would recommend The Disciplines of Grace, for instance, by Bridges. He wrote this. He said, our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Keep that in mind as you begin every day. And press on. If Paul could write in Philippians 3 that he had not yet attained, that he was not yet perfected, that he was still running the race, uh, pressing towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in, in Jesus Christ... And looking for the example of those who are mature in the faith and, and telling us, look to their example, follow their example. As, as I follow Christ, he said, follow me. And then he said, look to the example of those who are mature in the faith, follow them. One of the things that you will see in, of all the best Christians is that they were men and women of prayer. They were people who knew their own limits. They were people who knew their own weaknesses and they knew their own need. And so they were often with God, asking for what they had need of. Now, one of the things that I I need to say this is your salvation does not depend on your devotions. So it should not be the case that if you have a good devotion, that God loves you And if you have a bad devotion or you skip it, God hates you. That is not the case. Your salvation does not depend upon any of your works. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is grace that saves us. I say that because some people will, they start by faith and then they figure they continue on in the, in the faith by works. As though their devotions are that literally which is going to get them to heaven. If you're going to heaven, it's because Christ is going to take you there, brothers and sisters. But it is a wonderful aid to your growth in grace to be daily about these things. And to know that even if you don't feel aright, even in the midst of devotions, that the Lord has not changed his mind about you. One of the benefits to devotions and coming to the Bible and reading you know, the words of men like David and so on is so that we can believe better than we feel. Our hearts are still deceitful and desperately wicked, but when we see the truth of God, we're reminded my salvation doesn't depend upon my feelings. Because if you, are, if you have any sense about you, and I'm sure all of you do, there are going to be days where you wake up not feeling saved. You just don't feel like a very good Christian. Or when you've had a terrible day and you feel the devil at your elbow saying, I don't think a Christian would have done what you did yesterday. Oh, maybe he's right. Because he always wants to press us into the dungeon of the castle of giant despair. Ultimately, he wants us to make an end of ourselves. If we want light, if we want assurance, if we want refreshment, if we need those springs of water every morning, if we're parched, then we have to be going to the Lord on a regular basis. Now, hopefully, you will do this with joy in your hearts. Don't let this become a tick box exercise where after a while you, you just, you read the words and then you go to the next page, read the words, go to the next page, and you don't even remember what you've read. There are some people who, uh, I was actually caught by this, uh, many years ago, uh, a different pastor had us sing, and then when we were done, he said, okay, everybody close your hymnals. What did you just sing? And a lot of us were like, ah. Oh. <laughs> because it's a habit. We sing, but do we really sing with grace in our hearts? Well, hopefully you will be doing your devotions with grace in your hearts, and they'll be with joy. Jesus was delighted to come into the presence of God. If you're not delighted to come into the presence of God, It's because you don't really know him. So you need to go and make the introduction. You need to actually go to Christ first and come to know him, come into the family of God, pray to him, that should be your first prayer. Uh, it, It should be our ordinary recourse, as they used to put it, that we would go to God when we have any trouble. He should be our first thought. It should be, I need to go and pray about this. That should be what comes to us naturally, and it will be if he's our friend. We grow to depend upon people, don't we? Well, I need to talk to him. I need to talk to her about this. When you have trouble, when your soul is, is being strained, when you are being tested to the uttermost, when you're afraid, who should you be going to? You should be going first to God. He can help you more than anybody on earth. Now, I hope I have stirred you up to this. That was my, my, my great desire in doing all of this. I want to set before you uh, an example that hopefully will help you also to, to be encouraging the members of your own household and your friends. It's a proverb from African Christianity. It was said that the, uh, the early converts, of uh, uh, the missionaries who came to Africa, they could not pray within their villages. It was very difficult for them to do that. So what they would do is, and this is actually still a habit in Africa, they would go out into the bush. They would uh, go to a specific place that they had set aside to be the place where they knelt and they worshipped. After a while, they would actually wear a trail out to the place in the bush where they would kneel and worship. There would be a discernible path. And then their friends would know that something was spiritually up when grass began to grow on that path. You haven't been with the Lord. And so they would say, brother, the grass grows on your path in order to point out to them, you need to be with the Lord. We need to be stirring one another up to love and good works. We need to be especially encouraging the members of our family. Are you praying? Are you with the Lord? Do you know him? And then giving them all the assistance, all the advice, and all the prayer that we can uh, muster to help them out. David Livingstone. I'll leave with this uh, thought. David Livingstone, the great missionary to Africa, Scotsman, who died in Africa and his heart was buried there because it was said that was where his heart really was. He died on his knees doing his devotions. That's where his assistants found him in the morning. He died, had a heart attack during the night and simply uh, they found him, knelt over his bed. Would it be possible for that to happen to you? Would you be able to move directly from seeking the face of your Lord, going into the throne room and then boom, being physically present with the Lord Or would he really have to sharpshooter you? Uh, Finally, he's praying, now! You know I I I think for some of us, it would be very difficult to die in the presence of the Lord and then immediately move in in the way that David Livingston did. Make it your aim. Make it your desire. Lord, I just want to move from one place in your presence to that nearer place with you. And I pray that you would be a person whose devotions were so sweet to you that the thought of being without prayer, the thought of being without the presence of God daily in your life would be too terrible to contemplate. Let's go before him now. God our Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the exhortations of prayer that you give us. It's a good thing. It's for us. You gain nothing by our prayers. We gain everything. And so I pray, Lord, that we would learn how important they are, that each day we would be seeking your face, talking to you familiarly, talking to you as one talks to a friend, the best of friends, as a matter of fact. May we come to you seeking advice, asking for your wisdom, asking for your help, asking for what we have need of. May we not simply barge into your presence, throw down our demands, and then leave again, but may we spend time speaking with you honestly. Oh, Lord, remind us that a visit to the throne room of God should not feel like a visit to the DMV. And if it does, then something is wrong. Something is very wrong. And I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to love our times with you. And to desire them more and more fervently. Oh, Lord, may that be the case with everybody who hears my voice today. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.